Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Before we start today's podcast, a quick heads up on Sherlock's VIP Club. From restaurants, bars and hotels to beauty, wellness and shopping, Sherlock's partners with some of London's best destinations and hottest brands to bring its VIPs exclusive monthly offers. So why not sign up? It'll cost you just £5 a month or £50 for the year. Use your card once or twice and you'll have made that amount back in no time. For more information, visit sherlocksvip.com. With a style she describes as comfortable and suitable, Nina Campbell is one of our country's best-known interior designers. Globally renowned for creating rooms which are quintessentially English, she is the leader in how to marry bespoke and antique with contemporary, aiming, unlike so many others, not to match. She's designed interiors for everywhere from the Royal Albert Hall to Rod Stewart's home, created fabric and wallpaper with Osborne and Little, written countless interiors books, and run a shop in central London for over 40 years. Nina Campbell, welcome to your Sherlock's success story. <laughs> Thank you. How lovely. Sounds exhausting when you tell me It what does. <laughs> Can you believe all that's happened? And more. Mm. And more. And a new book. We'll and talk, a new book. We'll talk yes, about that. exciting. Tell me what your first recollections are of having an awareness and a love for interiors. Well, as a child, I grew up in post-war London where you couldn't go out and shop and buy things. And my mother was very clever. My father had great taste. And we moved house a lot, always around Belgravia. My mother was Viennese, and she said once, I've been a refugee from Vienna, and I don't want to be a refugee from Belgravia, which I thought was quite funny, actually. <laughs> that was when I asked her to move when she was old. I suggested she move the other side of Sloan Square, where I live, and she just thought that was outrageous. <laughs> I mean, I was moving into Chelsea was just beyond. So I moved house a lot, and I always got to choose my own bedroom. So because she wasn't English and she didn't understand about going to the park, she used to take me shopping all the time when she was in charge of me. And so we used to go to Cole's Wallpaper, and I was choosing wallpapers for myself. For your bedrooms? Yeah. Why were you moving so much? I don't know. I think they just liked doing up houses. And mm. they moved everything with them. I mean, my mother had a bolt of fabric that she found somewhere, and she dyed it saffron yellow and so our drawing room curtains were always saffron yellow with these duck egg blue walls I remember that so well and the carpet on the stairs was this art felt very thick I mean you can't believe that you know, talking to people like you you have no idea that there was nothing to buy in 46 47 you know at that moment so she bought art felt and every day it was swept with a stiff brush from the top of the stairs to the bottom because we had two lovely men who looked after us I don't know she found them from Croatia or something and they were refugees and they lived in our house and did everything Everything cooked and cleaned, and so you had people, but you had no things. So where did the things come from? They well, were all I mean, antiques, my parents had furniture, but my mother's storage unit had been bombed, so she lost everything. Somebody had a piano they couldn't house because their house had been bombed, so they put it in our house. So we had this huge drawing room with massive sofas and 
a rug that got rolled back and the piano, somebody came and played the piano and they danced. So oh, life was great sounds fun. Sounds wonderful. And I used to sit on the stairs and listen in the middle oh. of the night, or I thought it was the middle of the night, probably eight o'clock or something. And do you think that is what ignited your passion? I think so. I was very aware of life, entertainment and home. And glamour at home, and it glamour, sounds like. And glamour, yes, and glamour. And so did you do any training? So, so talk me through what happened after you left school and how you started working in the interiors world. So I left school, I went to Paris to learn French and to do history of art. And then I came home. Well, first of all, I did the Inchbald School, right. uh, which had just started. And I then went to work for John Fowler. How did you get that job? Well, I have no idea why he took me on it. Actually, so I was completely untrained. And I had done a secretary course, which had gone straight over my head. I thought it was the most boring thing in the world. And for people listening that don't know who John Fowler okay. was. So John Fowler, in my opinion, was probably the greatest interior designer. He knew everything about proper old grand houses. He knew the history of houses. He knew how they were made, how they were built. He knew how to restore houses. But he also had a wonderful feeling of colour. And he also used to say, Darling, we don't need to throw away these curtains. They're perfectly good. You just turn them back to front. <laughs> because they were fraying a bit on the edges. So they went and you just maybe cut them down. Yeah. Or you added a wonderful border of another fabric. Love he it. used to dye velvets and add them. And I've even done it. Not just a question of saving money, but although that's important. But also saving beautiful fabrics why throw it out because maybe it's a bit faded on the edge you know it's such an awful absolutely or it's a color that we think isn't a color we would choose and actually that offers up so many exciting challenges doesn't it yes how to rejig it yeah and what can it go with that's exciting you said you went to Inchbold and you were one of the first people Mm. I'm interested today do you still think it's as good as it yes I think it's not only as good as I think it's far better I mean when I went it was in its really early days I think it was a sort of parking place for 18 year olds who had nothing else to do (laughs) Whereas now, I know it's very serious and there's KLC as well. I mean, we've yeah. got two very good interior design schools. Nina Campbell takes girls from those two schools because they've been well trained. So they're the two you'd recommend to people? Yes, a great step in the right direction. Good place to start. Mm. So tell us more about John Fowler. So he gave you the job. So he gave he me the job. He saw something in you. Well, first of all, I had to make the tea because I was the most junior. And I'd never made tea, actually, at home because my mother was Viennese, so she drank coffee. So I'd heard that you put one spoon for each person, one for the pot. So I started counting all the staff at Colfax and Fowler, of which there were 18. And then I thought, hmm, probably one for the pot successive. The pot was by this time so full of tea leaves. And I put the hot water in. Nobody had told me the essence of the whole thing, which is to leave it to stand. So I then immediately poured it out because I thought Mr. Fowler wants a cup of tea and he must have one immediately. So I poured out the tea, which looked (laughs) absolutely disgusting, I must say. Dishwater. So then I thought, well, there isn't very much of this liquid to go around 18 people, so I'll fill it up with milk. (laughs) So I took this thing into Mr. Fowler who said, dear child, this looks like milk soup. So I explained what I'd done with great pride actually and he said please never make the tea again so I thought oh that's a score because now I'm going to go up in the world I shop a tea maker very smart exactly you don't want to make a good don't cup of tea make you won't progress a cup of tea <laughs> so I then became bag carrier right. and then I carried the bags which was a great step we went to the Claremont Club which was above 44 Barclay Square which was Annabelle's in those days and we carried the bags in there. We were going to redo that, or it was the summer decoration, because he'd already done it up beautifully. 44 Barclay Square is the most beautiful building. And Annabelle's was underneath, which eventually I met Mark Burley later on, a couple of years later, and suggested that there was something in the club that I thought could be redone. And he said, OK, we'll make a suggestion. And that's how I got my foot in the door and did Annabelle's. Amazing. Which now, as you know, was sold up last week. Yes, The I final know. denouement of Annabelle's, it's I all know. over. So you did Annabelle's? So I did Annabelle's. 
never... But that was whilst under John Fowler. I started while under John Fowler and then I went on. I remember Mark coming in to John Fowler and John Fowler saying, why didn't you deal with this? I don't think Buried Underground was quite his scene. So I took it on myself at that point. And was that the first job that was yours? It was the first job that was actually mine while I was at Colfax. And then I left Colfax and went on my own because I realised that by that time I was sort of doing my own jobs while mm. I was there. And how long had you been there? Three years. OK. And he was renowned for sort of English country houses, yes. wasn't he? Yes. Do you think that had an impact on you? I mean, you've done some amazing English country houses. Definitely. I learned so much from him because he was a great teacher. I mean, I remember one day we went round, we were doing the Italian embassy in Grosvenor Square, and he sat down on the sofa and he said, now listen, darling, let's sit down here. Let's play ladies. So we sat on this little sort of canopy and the butler from the Italian embassy gave us coffee, which was so strong, my eyes nearly dropped out, even mine. And we sat there and he just absorbed the room and he said, now the thing about this room that's important are the tapestries and they shouldn't be sitting on a wall. Jars, they have to sit on a wall that absorbs them. And he said, we'll paint them in this colour, which we'll call tapestry green. And of course, the room completely transformed. And I went there the other day, I mean, years later. And I said to the ambassadress, I did this room when I was with John Fowler when I was so young, and this is the wall colour. She said, well, we've never changed it. You didn't need to change anything John Fowler ever yeah, did, actually. Amazing. So he was a big influence. Huge influence. And was he championing you to do your own thing? When I was leaving, and I said I wanted to leave and go on my own, he was very encouraging, which was very nice. And how old were you when you left and went out of 22. Amazing. And did you always have ambition? I mean, in those days, there weren't probably that many women forging careers on their own. And I didn't really think of it. And I had a, somebody who I was beginning to work with who had wonderful taste as well in a lovely house, and she wanted to be involved in something. And she was called Bridget Millamundi, and but she was my sort of silent partner. So we set up together this business, which sounded like a sort of Scottish solicitor. It was called Elliot and Campbell. And then eventually she went to live in Spain, and I then just became Nina Campbell. And that's when I started a little shop in Pimlico Road called Nina Campbell and Mark Burley and we did a shop together then at that point I said to him listen I would much rather just do this was just about 1970 I was fed up with decorating for other people I just want to do Annabelle's and Mark's club he just bought at that point so let's have the shop and I'll just do that so that's what I did for a bit so before opening the shop that's what you were doing you were doing yeah. projects yes. for clients yes and why didn't you enjoy that I sort of did enjoy it and then I just thought I'd always actually wanted to have a shop Actually, when I was a child, I thought I'd like to have a sweet shop because I liked the ladies behind the counter who used to put sweets in a bag and throw the bag over and make ears out of the little bags. I mean, it was completely riveted me. And in the street where we lived, there was a coffee shop and she ground the beans and put them into a brown bag and she tied it up with a piece of string. There was nothing left and she made the knot and it was so carefully done. And I was completely fascinated the way she banged the bag so the coffee all went down. And it was entirely visual, but it became what I wanted. I just wanted to shop and I wanted to be behind a counter <laughs> selling things that I could put in a bag and hand over and take the money. I just thought that was heaven. So you and Mark opened a shop? So we opened a shop, a smallest shop in London in Pimlico, 64 Pimlico Road. And we sold things that we liked. We went to Fauchon in Paris and bought all these sweets and mustards and vinegars. And we thought that was wonderful to take away for the weekend. We had bamboo bath racks. We had porto linens. Somebody explained it as unashamed luxury. Love it. And we said, well, there is nothing to be ashamed about it. For me, luxury isn't a, a sort of Louis Vuitton handbag with graffiti on the front. Luxury for me is Saucy a boiled egg. Or... Yes, yeah. or sorted butter or something, or yeah. soldiers. You yeah. Know. 
And did people love it? Yes, they did, actually. It was a great success, the shop. And what happened to it? In the end, it was much more mine than his. And so he wanted a wine shop. And by that time, I was itching to do more decorating. So I went back into decorating. I'd sort of had the shop entirely phased. So I moved the shop to Walton Street and went on with the shop and started the decorating again. So talk to us about the decorating and what happened from that point. Was it just you? Did you have an assistant? Did you have a team? Oh, yes. No, I had an assistant and bookkeeper. And I started. And then it began to divide from the shop and be the shop and the decorating team, Mm -hmm. sort of two separate businesses. Sort of had to. And then I started doing fabrics because I was doing a huge house in Scotland and the fabric I wanted to use was discontinued and it was just so irritating. And so the man who sold the fabric originally said, look, it's discontinued by us, but you're very welcome to print it yourself if you want to use it. And then a girl came to me with some documents and said, was I interested? And I said, I do like this fabric and we'll work it into something. My first fabric was called Henrietta Stripe and I kept named them after my children. And then suddenly the fabrics got a little bit out of hand because luckily everybody seemed to want them and I didn't really know what I was doing. So (laughs) Henry Greenfield came to me from Colfax and Filer to run the fabric side. And then we went to Osborne a little and said, look, could we store our fabrics here? That was how it began. And they said, we'd really like to do a license with you because they liked what we were producing. And they took us into a whole different market, which was amazing. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass!" So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Going back to the interiors, how do you got your name out there? I mean, obviously, all these opportunities came along and people knew you and they wanted to work with you. But there was obviously a period where people didn't know you. How were you getting those clients in Scotland? Well, clients in Scotland were really, really good friends. They had a house called Cullen House, which was enormous. And I did that from top to day. So, of course, a lot of people saw that. Then I'd done Annabelle's, which, of course, was high visibility. You did get passed from, you know, friend to friend. There was a lot of doing people's drawing rooms, redoing the guest bedrooms in the beginning. And people liked what I did, I suppose. When I was only in my 20s, early 30s, so I was working for people in their 40s, 50s who were very established. And so they were sort of passing me on. So eventually I did the House of the Duke and Duchess of York. And that got a certain amount of publicity, although interiors were never photographed. Just the fact that you were doing it? Yes, was sort of got talked around. And that was in what year? It was 85 or 86, yeah. something like that. So that became more visible and more written about. And then I was written about in House and Garden and that sort of thing. And do you still think that as an interior designer, word of mouth is the best way? 
Well, I think word of mouth, it means that somebody's had a good experience. Mm. And I think you want people to enjoy. We do a lot of repeat business. I mean, I do work all over the world. I've worked in China. But that was the same client. And he came to England and bought a house called Birch Grove, which was Harold Macmillan's house. And he had been advised to come to me through some friends because he wanted an English house for his English friends. And we created that for him, and he was just wonderful. And then I did a house for him in Hong Kong, and then I did a house for him in mainland China, which was just marvellous, actually. And he was a wonderful person to work with. You just made the presentation, and he said what he liked, and that was it. And then he arrived and moved in. You said you made the presentation about that process. Well, we had the floor plans. For me, when I make a presentation, it's actually pretty complete, because if they say they like it and they ask how much it is, we have the estimate there. Yeah. Of course, there are some what we call PC sums, approximate prices. But we know that we can work within that and we can maybe if we spend more on one thing, we spend less on the other. So the rooms were totally complete. I mean, we went to Hong Kong. There were eight bedrooms and four reception rooms and all the other areas. And everything was done on that presentation down to the last cushion. Amazing. That much detail. And tell me more about the journey. I mean, you've been at this for a long time and, you know, you talked about your collaboration with Osborne and Little. Tell us more about the story up until now and how you've grown the business and how big the business is. The collaboration with Osborne and Little started, I think it's about 35 years ago now. We do certainly one collection a year with them of fabrics, wallpapers, sometimes trimmings. And we meet really on a sort of quite a regular basis, put together a collection of our ideas and what we want to do. I've got two people working on these collections in my studio, one whose speciality is weaving and one whose speciality is more painting and print. It's really quite in-depth what we do. I don't watch the weaving being done. We get all the what we call blankets come back from the weavers of all the colours we've selected. And then you get covered from head to foot in little threads and you choose that collection. But the printing and the wallpapers are done in England. And those we go and watch being printed on the back of the machine. You can tweak the colours. How much of your business is designing versus product now? Well, I think it's probably sort of half and half, really. And you have a team of how many designers? I've got four in the design team. And how much designing do you still do yourself? Well, I know everything that goes out of that office. Do you? They will bring me certain suggestions and things, and we just put it together. I've got a chief designer called George who's architect-trained, which is marvellous, because he can do all the CAD drawings and all the electricity plans and from his architectural base. And, in fact, one or two of the other girls have also got CAD training, which is important now. And how do you keep evolving? I mean, your style has evolved so much over the years. I was looking at some of the yeah. earlier stuff that you've done versus now, and there is a real change, isn't there? Yes, it's still course. very but much then you. Life has changed, but yes, I think you have to keep your principles, let's say, of making sure everybody's comfortable, that the colours work, that nothing's wasteful. And I think what is the essence of a house or a home? I mean, you do it, and then really what do you do it for? You do it for your family, for your children, and for your pets, if you've got them, and for your friends to come and entertain and feel mm. relaxed in the house. And I think, fun enough, at the last Annabelle's dinner that I went to before the sale, I realised that an environment is only as good as the people that are in it and the staff that are there. Because the whole point of Annabelle's in the old days was these wonderful people that looked after you that you knew. And there was George behind the bar and then there was Ted at the door and there was Mabel in the loo and there was 
John in the inside bar and there was Louis, you know, and there was all these people. And if you take them out, it's a shell. Mm. It may be a glamorous shell, but it still doesn't have that essence of why you enjoyed yourself. So actually you have to always remember in a house as well, it's the people that are in there, the friends and the the life that you're going to lead in that house, which is the key to the whole thing. Mm. So I don't think you should get too hung up on the decoration. But do you think colour is key? You describe your mother's saffron (laughs) curtains and duck egg and someone playing the piano and you sitting on the stairs. That kind of colour and joie de vivre do you think they go hand in hand definitely yes and did you feel that you were sort of pushing boundaries with your use of color you know you're renowned for not matching things and it works so well did you have you had to sort of battle people a little bit yes i think sometimes if people appear to be sort of shocked you say look we're planning to paint this wall this color it's not going to be one whole wall because you've got a huge painting to put on it and you've got a you know pair of wall lights or you've got a bookcase and there's all the colour coming from the books. and So you're not going to ever be sitting in some room in a sort of bright colour. You're going to cover it with things. So it's only a background. Yeah. But then if people are frightened of colour, sometimes I say, OK, we'll do the walls come, but then let's line the bookcase in something wonderful yeah. or let's open the cupboards. And when you open your cupboards, it's nice to find something wonderful inside. So it's yeah, joyous. it's a nice wallpaper to yeah. the back or something. I love that. And a hallway, it's nice to have. I think you want to feel joyful when you you arrive. Yes, a bright and colourful yes, wallpaper. Yes, uplifted or yeah. by colour of some way. So what are your rules when it comes to interior designing? I mean, do you have any? Well, I think the main rule is to listen to whoever it is, the house it is, actually. I was sitting next to somebody at dinner last night who said that they'd slightly fallen out with their designer because the husband had had to say to the designer, you know, this is our house. And I think that's so right. I mean, you know, you're trying to get out of them is how they want to live. So you need to listen and make them feel at ease, actually. Mm. And to people that aren't able to employ you to Mm. design their homes but want that colour mixed with traditional furniture, what advice do you give them? Well, I think that I like to have some inherited furniture or bought old furniture because I think it gives soul to a room. Mm. I think it's a very uneducated remark that people say, oh, brown furniture's finished because it just shows a complete lack of understanding of anything Mm. because nothing's better than an old piece of wood. Wood is wood anyway, so anything coming from Indonesia is still brown wood. I mean, you may think it's modern, but it's going to date terribly quickly, whereas the piece of furniture that's been around since 1800, 1900 is not dating. It's still there. You just put a new dress on it, as John Fowler would have said. (laughs) So I think nothing's more fun than going into an attic and finding some piece of unloved furniture and bringing it out, polishing the legs up and reupholstering it and turning it into a just perfect little chair for some corner or a table I walked with a young client the other day we were in the antique show in Battersea and we saw this table it was two and a half thousand pounds and it was a big center table for the hallway and it was just lovely and it had a good color to it and I said let's look at that table and just think about it because we can go and buy something modern which will be worth nothing really once you bought it because it's then matchwood frankly whereas this has stood the test of time Mm. and it'll cost half Mm. and she went with me and she bought it and then she sort of got into it and then we ended up buying a nice pair of half moon tables for the drawing room and you know they're lovely and the colors are younger and prettier and more contemporary let's say but this background to put this furniture it's rather like rescuing a dog you know the dog just somehow is so happy to be yeah. in this new environment. But it's the way that you will then combine that round hallway table with one of your beautiful wallpapers and your yeah. fabrics yeah. that yeah. makes it so exactly. well, that's and clever. I think that's important, just bring it all up to date. And are there trends that you followed? I mean, dark blue, everyone's got a dark blue island these days. <laughs> You're smiling. Do you pay any attention to that or do you just plough on? Well, I think there's something in the ether, really, that happens about colour. I mean, strange, it, it makes me laugh when you say dark blue. I've just gone back in Brooklyn. I'm doing a house that I did 30 years ago. 
And they had a cherry kitchen, which everybody had in those days in America. Cherry was the wow. new thing. I never liked it. Anyway, over the 30 years, it had colored into some way. And we changed it. And there had been a photograph of a dark blue kitchen. And so we did exactly that. I mean, I didn't really do the kitchens particularly, except for the accessorizing of them. And so we did. We lacquered these cherry cupboards into a wonderful blue lacquer and redid the curtains and the chairs and the tables and everything else. We did the walls, instead of being a sort of ochre colour, they went into a sort of rather good, strong off-white, where this blue and white and the black tops looks amazing. It's like a new house. Amazing. And then I noticed that somebody else had a blue kitchen. And I think there is a, a sort of thing, you think you've thought of a new colour, and then you find that everyone's gone that path. There must be something in the air that happens. Yeah, I know. I'm interested that you said you don't do kitchens. And I think it's so interesting because so many people think the kitchen is just that physical, functional bit. But actually, there's so much more yeah. to a kitchen, isn't there, that makes it a home and brings it alive. And I think Certainly we now. on the units and where they're going to come from. But actually, there's so much more to it. Well, I think everybody now has a kitchen dining room, really. So I think that the whole thing has become a room now rather than a kitchen. A workspace, That yeah. you then cook your meal in and you shove it through the door or through that little hole that people used to have in the 60s or 50s or something, the pass-through, they call it in America. So that era has gone. So all those sort of kitchens are over. But And now it's much more about loose furniture or making it attractive and then carrying on and doing the rest of it. So I get involved with the colours and everything, but I think you need to go to a proper kitchen person to do the kitchen. Yeah, to do the functional bit. You said you're doing a house in Brooklyn. I mean, I imagine everyone wants you doing their houses. How do you choose what projects um, you personally do? Does it come down to budget? Does it come down to passion? I mean, Brooklyn sounds quite fun. I do do quite a bit in America, and we sell our, a lot of our fabrics in America, so it's no hardship for me. I love going to America. And so the Brooklyn Heights house, it's about the third, fourth thing I'm doing for these particular clients, because I did their house originally. Then I did a house for them in California. Then I did a hotel for them in Telluride. And then I'm redoing this house in Brooklyn Heights. So I know them very well. And fun enough, they want to change the house because they are modernizing themselves. But their son, who grew up, who was born in this house, is horrified that we're touching anything. He wanted it left as it was. <laughs> really? It's quite sweet, I think, actually. All those memories. <laughs> yeah. And do you always do a whole house? Will you ever do just a room? No, I do just a room. I mean, sometimes you do a house if people live in it. One of our clients who lives in Italy has just gone to their home in Italy, a new house, but really we're doing kind of one room at a time round them. But I did one house for somebody and we started by just covering two chairs that she liked. She was a writer and she'd written rather serious books and hadn't made much money. And then she wrote what was called a bodice ripper about life in parliament and things, which was... And she's ringing me up and saying, they've just sent me another enormous check. <laughs> I'm ready to this send it. Come book over. was going absolutely crazy. And so then we went and did the rest of the house. Do you have a favourite project? Usually the one I'm working on because mm. it's exciting, you know. Mm. And I love looking back on the old projects. Do you have a wonderful house yourself? I'm sure you do. I have a very sort of strange house because now I, you know, all my children are married and off. So I need a smaller house than I had originally. So I was just found this house. I thought it was like a hut when I first saw it, but actually I dug a basement like everybody has these days. So you walk in and there's just a big entertaining space and then my bedroom's upstairs and my guest bedroom, TV room's downstairs. 
And it's perfect. And I have lots of guests who come from wherever, Morocco or America. And I can have 18 for dinner if I want, or 20. Where are you? Are you eating the kitchen? No, I do have a big room, a sort of L-shaped room. So it's a living end, a dining end, and then the kitchen goes off it. And it's quite a good kitchen because it's quite small, but somehow you can produce food for lots of people. Sounds amazing. And what advice do you have for people creating a space for modern living? Because, you know, you talked about passing the food through the hatch. (laughs) That doesn't happen anymore. No. And eating in the kitchen. What should people be thinking about? I think that you want to look at your floor plan very carefully. I mean, in my kitchen, which is just slightly by miracle, the space was a large rectangular space that was an artist studio. And so the kitchen is a sort of block out of that one of those strips and the staircase is the other. So then you get a sort of bigger L shape, if you like. So I did do sliding doors into this kitchen so that I could shut them if I want to. Actually, they're open all day. But if I'm doing a big dinner, they are shut and then things just get, I mean, the door opens. But So they're those doors that... Sliding doors, yes, exactly, that disappear. Disappear into the wall. That you have to plan in advance. But I think what you have to do is you must plan and you've got to have enough storage space. If you're going to really end up living in one big space, you need to have storage so that... It's not always littered with all the things, because everyone has things to put away. Mm. So I think china storage, linen storage, Christmas decoration storage, I mean, you've just got to think about that. And it's worth making a room, I think, a tiny bit smaller in order to have a huge closet where all the stuff can go. I mean, nothing more boring or more ugly, let's say, than sitting in your living room and finding there's a sort of couple of bicycles and some helmets and God knows what sitting there. Yeah. You know, you need to think, okay, there are going to be bicycles, so let's make sure there's somewhere to put them. Great advice. And advice for doing your house and it not dating? Well, I think that the expensive things, you should be doing them as well and as simply as possible. So personally, I've always wanted a white bathroom and I'd want quite a sleek bathroom so that that's never going to date. The kitchen, I think you want it to be as crisp and as clean. I mean, I, I want my kitchen to be just impeccably clean all the time. Yeah. It doesn't mean it's got to be white, glaring white. And I think if your kitchen goes off or is next door or part of your living room, you want to choose a fabric, I mean, either a stone or a paint colour or a formica or whatever, that is a good colour so it doesn't jar. You don't want to be sitting in an industrial zone because the lighting will be too crude for how I want yeah. to dine. Yeah. I think you've got to think of the balance of lighting yeah, absolutely. too. And what would you advise that people invest in when it comes to doing their own homes? I think you should invest in a really good bed and your upholstery should be good. So your sofa should be really comfortable. And I think you should think carefully about what you're buying. And anything that's movable, I would spend my money on. And then, I mean, of course, I want you to buy my wallpaper and my fabrics, but I think... God, I can... want to. I mean, the, I was saying the Garance pink wallpaper is just... I mean, it is the dream. Does that come in a fabric too? I think it does, I'd yes. like that yeah. on the walls. Yeah, that's please. the way to go. I mean, oh, fabric on the walls, is that a good thing? I love fabric on the wall because I think it covers a multitude of sins. Also, you can hang and rehang pictures, you know, on fabric because you just pull the little pin out and just give it a bit of a hoover. And We decided on. that you've made it when you can afford to fabric cover your walls wall. <laughs> in Nina Campbell fabric. I love that feeling when you shut a door and you've got fabric on the wall. It oh, just so absorbs warm. you yeah. and it's quiet. It's just so And crazy. I think quiet is a great luxury. What advice would you give to interior designers starting out now? I think if you're starting out now, you need to really have your technical side, really organized, all your financials really organized. Because now with eBay, with the internet, they think they can find the same things. Actually, quite often it's rather confusing because 
you've designed something and they say, well, I've just seen one on somewhere. And it's not at all the same, unfortunately, when it's delivered. And we've just had this actually in America with a client who sent us this rather good-looking piece of furniture. But actually, when you look into it, it's absolutely dreadful. And it only comes in one kind. It's got terrible crystal handles and they won't change it. None of which appears actually when you just when it flashes up on the screen. But, of course, it's about a quarter of the price of anything you'd make. So you need to have all that really under control. And you need to be very efficient and very transparent with all your dealings now. I mean, everyone was transparent before. I mean, there was just a way we did it. And that was what happened. But now everybody wants to have their own little different deal and they want to pay it a different way. And so you have to be really clear about what you're going to do and how you're going to do it right from the start. So there's no confusion because that can cause a lot of problems. And then I think you've got to listen to what the client asks you for and then just enjoy yourself and make them enjoy themselves. Good advice. What's your career highlight? When you look back, what are you most proud of? I think I'm just thrilled that I'm still here and relevant. I'm a great forward looker rather than a backward looker. I mean, I do look back at sometimes I'll go to a house that I've done and think, gosh, it's okay. You know, it still works. <laughs> and I think that appeals to me because I realize that things don't. I mean, of course, some things date, but other things don't. Or equally, you can adjust a room that dates. You can repaint the walls. You can, you know, the days of the heavy pelmets, you can take those pelmets off and redo the tops of the curtains and remake them and so that they remain, which I've just done for somebody in the country. And do you still love what you do? I love what I do, yes. I'm very lucky. I think, how lucky am I that I haven't had to retire? Will you ever? I don't know. I'll probably just drop off my perch, you know, with a suitcase of samples. <laughs> Good. Well, I'm glad to hear it. One day when I've made it, I'm going to come to you and put fabric all over my walls. Please do. Um, tell us about your latest book. You've written six books. I've written six. My first book was on another iconic interior designer who really influenced my life, along with John Filer, called Elsie DeWolf. And she really was one of the first professional interior designers. She was American. And she came over to England, was absolutely entranced by the way we decorated. And she went off and she took that look to America. And she wrote endless books. And she had a saying about her house, which she said, suitability, practicality and proportion were the three rules to live by. And actually, there are three that I adopt. If you think about it, the proportion is really important suitability is really important. There's no point having a shaggy white pile carpet in the middle of Dorset where everyone's going to come thundering in with muddy boots. And equally, practicality, I think, is vital. So she was my first book. And then I started doing my own on various things, Nina Campbell's notebook and decorating idea and all of that. And this last one was lovely because Giles Kime, who's the decorating editor of Country Life, sort of did it with me. So he, well, you know, when you just write a book yourself, you just write about what you think is important. And, but when somebody interviews you, and sometimes he finds things interesting that I thought were really quite ordinary, and I didn't realize anybody would be interested in. Or probably so obvious. Or so well. obvious to you me. That, exactly. Yeah. So it was really interesting to have that conversation with him. And so he wanted to show the design over the last 30 years through my houses. So we show a little touches of my house all through. We've got six new projects. And it's published by Rizzoli, and they were a bit surprised and said, but none of these designs are the same. So I said, well, no, but none of the clients are remotely the same. Yeah. So, of course, you change. You hope there's a thread going through it that underpins what you believe in. But they are all very different, and they've got to have 
entirely different houses. You know, there's one in Rome, one in London. There's an Ascot box. There's an Ascot box. There's, we did. We took four boxes and put it into one for Ascot for wow. a time, which is amazing. Actually. That's incredible. So it's all quite fun, and you know, and that's what it's all about. And then it shows the Annabelle story, and then a little bit about my life and growing up and all that. Amazing. I think people seem to like it rather. Amazing. Well, it's called Nina Campbell Interior Decoration Elegance and Ease. And it is certainly on my Christmas list. Good. <laughs> Thank you so much, Nina. Thank what you. an honour to have you. And I think I could have chatted to you for hours. Well, thank you for chatting um, to me at all. Thank you so much. That's it for this week. If you enjoyed that, then do please rate, review, subscribe and tell your friends. We'll be back soon. Bye bye. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more, with Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.